we didn't know each other yet. People thought I was him. And I, I had just moved there. So maybe I was like the new guy or whatever. Like I was at some house party that he was playing and someone like interviewed me thinking I was him. <laughs> That's cool. That's and I just like rolled with it. Um, I, to this day, would love to find that interview. Because what did you say? I remember they asked, they were like, what are your influences? And I was like, Limp Bizkit. <laughs> Let's go. Hi, this is Jack Callahan, and you are listening to 400 Floor. You just heard from Eric Farber and Josh McIntyre. From a young age, Josh made a name for himself in the music world. From his early bedroom pop project, Little Girls, to his synth-heavy duo, Prince Innocence, all the way up to the current day with his Prince Josh moniker and his project, Thermal. Eric also had an early start in Boston with his band, Truman Peyote, eventually moving to Toronto, where he crossed paths with Josh starting the band Cell Phone before eventually relocating to New York City, which led him to found Nina with Mike Pollard and your humble narrator. This episode has been edited from the full conversation, which is available at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. This is 400 Floor. Let's go on and get into it. Hello, Josh. Hello. Hello, Eric, co-worker, Eric, and uh, welcome to 400 Floor. Uh, I will start out uh, with you, Josh. I'm going to ask the question that I always ask, uh, which is, what was your introduction to music as a young person, and uh, how did you come to know that that's what you wanted to do, and what, uh, how did you get into the scene, community, etc., that you now find yourself in? Kind of a big question, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, like, I definitely came from, like, a musical family. Like, my dad was a guitar player, and my uncle also played. And my dad used to actually play with uh, Tom Cochran. I don't know if you guys... Do you guys know who that is? Did he ever, like, make it in the States? I I know the name, but I can't say I... He, he had a song called, like, Life is a Highway. That laugh mm, is a okay, highway. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, like, his hit okay. that came out later. That was, like, much later. But he was in a band with my dad uh, called Harvest. So, like, growing up, there was, like, a lot of, like, you know, it was, like, guitars and pianos and stuff in the house. And... Where did you grow up? I, in Toronto. I grew up in Toronto, where I am right now. Um, and then, yeah, I just, like, started, like, getting super into music. And, like, the first kind of, like, album that I remember, like, liking was uh, Elvis Costello. Because my dad had, like, the cassette. And I remember just being like, being, like, damn, this is, like, so cool. Like, what is this music? Like, what is this, like, new wave? Like, I didn't know it was new wave, obviously. But I was just, like, super into this, like whatever whatever i thought it was at the time and then i like have this like funny memory of like one day like seeing the cassette tape and it's like the iconic one i forget what the album's called but it's like him with the camera and i remember being like that's the guy like in my mind it was this like you know like, cool, like, like, jacket, like in your mind hair. it was a cool guy yeah, yeah. i was like this nerd made this music yeah 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 um and that was like honestly like like the more i think about it because i was thinking about this today but i was just like that was like kind of like the first like first thing i liked as like a young kid uh was like elvis costello but then how old do you I, think you were at that point i must have been like five honestly i must have been like wow five or okay six. yeah that's yeah, about yeah. the age of people who appreciate elvis costello <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um but then i guess like when i really got into music probably was like around like 12 or so and my brother had had like a squire like telecaster just like lying around the house and, you know, I was like, I want to start playing guitar. Like, 
I want to learn guitar. And my parents like, okay, like we'll buy you a guitar, like, but you need to like play this thing for like a year <clears throat> and like, you know, figure it out. And like, if you like actually care about this, I'm like, you know, we'll buy you a guitar. So I was like pretty into like, probably like Blink-182 and like Green Day and like no effects and just like classic pop punk. Like, you know, you're a kid and you rancid, you see these like, you know, music videos of guys with mohawks and leather jackets and like, playing this like fast music that you've never really heard before, but it's also like super accessible. Like when you really think about it, it's like, you know, it's pretty easy to like digest as a, as like a, a young kid. kids music. Yeah. 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 It's literally yeah. kids music, but it's like sick kids music. <laughs> and I remember that just being like, kind of like blowing my mind and be like, I want to like play guitar. I want to like be in a band. And around that time, like things moved really quickly. Like, like thinking back of like the music that I was into it moved so fast. Like in seventh grade, it's like, you know, pop punk, Blink-182. And then by like the next year, I'm like deep into like new metal. And then the year after that, it was like black metal. So it moved super quickly. And the funniest part about this guitar thing I was saying is that like, my dad was like, you know, like learn to play the guitar and then I'll buy you your own guitar. And by the time I'd like played the Squire for like a year, he was like, okay, we'll buy you a guitar. And we like went to like this place, Steve's Music. And we're like looking at guitars and at this point, it's a year later, so I'm, like, into, like, new metal and stuff. And I see, like, a BC Rich Ironbird <laughs> <laughs> like, with the big black spikes yes. and, like, the Floyd Rose and all that crap. And I was like, that's the guitar I want. That's the guitar I need. So technically, my first guitar was, like, a BC, BC Rich Ironbird. Amazing. Um, he's like, God damn it. This is <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, I taught you how to change strings, like all this stuff, like all that just like out the window. Out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then from there, like, um, what was the progression to like start a band or whatever, or being like, oh, I can make my own music? Yeah. So around that time, I was, and again, going back to the whole like genre is not quite making sense. Like my first band when I was 13 was called Ficus. <laughs> and it was like looking back it kind of, i couldn't even even tell you what genre of music it was it was like heavy i guess <laughs> but it was like you know and then you're also trying to find people that are like into the same shit that you're into so like we'd have friends that were like you know like like the guitar player like you know i was like you know, wearing all black and had like a wallet chain and then like the guitar player had like a polo shirt <laughs> you know <laughs> Like, none of it, like, made sense, like, aesthetically. But, like, we and we started to, like, play around, I guess, at that point in the city. Because I grew up in the city, so, like, there was, like, going to venues and stuff, like, all-ages venues, was not more than, like, you know, 10 subway stops away. Are there recordings of this band? There definitely are. I probably gonna, have them on a hard drive. have to get these. Gonna have <laughs> because, to get these for the pod. <laughs> well, because the funny thing is recording this and none of us had obviously had any recording experience or, or gear to record but i don't know if you remember when like our friend vaughn who was the drummer he had i guess i feel like it just came with like any sort of pc but there was this like 30 second recording thing that you could just oh. hit and it do you know what I'm yeah, about well, it? yeah, it's like Windows Sound Recorder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was my first like DAW, like the little yeah. tiny like Windows. Set. It's just like has like the green like waveform or whatever. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, Windows Sound Recorder, definitely. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, it was so. So what we used to do, and I, it's actually really funny. With the bass player, he was like he was the drummer's brother, and we'd be like jamming. Uh, or actually, I guess we were jamming at his house at one point. 
before we moved to my parents' house. But I remember us recording once in their basement, and we're like, nah, no one really like cares about the bass, so you're going to be in charge of hitting that button after 30 seconds. Because if you could hit it right at the exact time, it would go for another 30 seconds. And wow. Yeah, it was it was like so I definitely ha- I mean Hacked I don't know it. where the, like somebody has these recordings but like we literally would have to like play and then be hoping that it would like cut right at the right second and even if it didn't we still used it and like definitely burned CDs and sold them. <laughs> How old were you when you were doing this band? The, I started it when I we were I was thirteen. So yeah, we were in this band, uh, Pirate Rock, and it was just the two of us. And on my own, I started messing around with like GarageBand, or we were we were actually messing around with GarageBand. But on my own, I was just like recording my own little things, and I was like playing guitar and like singing. And I started this sort of like anonymous project called like Little Girls, and I was just doing that for fun, and I just uploaded them to MySpace, these tracks. And this is like the beginning of like the blog era, or I guess it was like the blog era was happening. Were you anonymous or people didn't know who you were? I was anonymous at that time. At one earliest, earliest version of little girls, there was actually like fake band members, like written in the like description. And there was no photos. There was all these like found archival pictures of like people with like scratch their faces and shit. But it was just like, it was purely just for fun. It was just like, I wasn't like trying to like, do anything with this with this project i just was just making these like little songs and i was literally literally singing into a uh a uh paper towel tube to like create to like muffle my voice and like create this like chamber of reverb and to sing quietly so no one could hear me uh because i was still in my parents (laughs) house (laughs) and like so with that project basically i i uh posted the myspace link in the comment section of that blog gorilla versus bear and then i like was working at h&m at the time oh my god you're really painting a picture of an era right now so i go to h&m to work the next day yes and i'm like there i'm like whatever blah 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 i like go home and i pull up the myspace page just out of curiosity i'm pretty sure i'd made it like maybe like five days earlier and i pull up the myspace page and the song, the three songs that I'd uploaded have like 20,000 plays like each. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I couldn't figure it out for like a couple of days. I was like, why are I like, getting all these friend requests? Why is like, why are these like play counts just like big skyrocketing? And then I like randomly went back to that blog, Girl vs. Bear, and saw that he had posted being like, haha, sometimes if you drop an anonymous comment in our comment section, like, we'll post the track if it's good. And then next thing you know, I had like my inbox was like filled with all these like small record labels uh, hitting me up. Wasn't there just one, L- one little girl's LP? What was the record called again? Yeah, there's one album called Concepts. 
Concepts. Concepts. <laughs> wow, yes. Oh, my God. But, yeah. but <laughs> so like, what, had, what, had, what had happened? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, no. 18, 19. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I like, put these songs up, and then that people captured tracks who like weren't a thing yet weren't really a thing yet mike sniper like was in my D- like dms i guess being like yo this is cool like i want to put this out as a seven inch and i was like sure so he took two tracks and then mexican summer were also like a new label at the time and they were like we also want to put some stuff at so then i i put out two records with those guys pretty quickly i remember the turnaround being like really fast and then it was like you know, they're like, oh, like, come to New York and play a show. And I was like, okay. So then I, like, put a band together. And then next thing you know, we were, like, in New York. I remember the first show we played in New York was... Oh, I think we played one show in Toronto. And then I think the second show was in New York at Union Pool with psychedelic horse shit and real estate. Oh, my God. Wow. What a what an era. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you open? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, all those bands were, like... We like at this point, I had had like the 12 inch and the seven inch. And again, it's like it's the blog era, like hype cycle. Like people were like, and like there was kind of this, like, you know, lo fi, like pre, uh, what do they call it? Um, a chill wave, like pre, you now people always talk about the 2010s and chill wave and whatever. No one really talks about the like kind of like lo fi, like, but it wasn't, but it wasn't beats though. It was like, it was like guitars and drums and stuff. And it was a lot of just like, bands that were like one person that like turned into bands because people started listening So Eric, same question. Like, what's your background with music? How did you get introduced to it and find your find your way? Earliest memory, you know, is this Muppet Beach Party cassette tape. Yes. That really fucking rocked. Yes. And I would just rock it all the time, like driving to Cape Cod and being stuck in traffic. I remember we would just rip Muppet Beach Party and this like weird burn tape that one side was like a Beatles mixtape and the other side was Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd and just listen to those things over and over. And then the I left the Muppet Beach Party tape in the car and it melted. <laughs> so I took my mom's like Pink Floyd no. mixtape. I started listening to that all the time. Just as an arbitrary, like, you're just like, well, here's another tape. I was like, here's the other tape in the car. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that was kind of like, I wasn't from a very, like, music, not from a music goal house, but they listened to it a lot. But, like, you know, my Soviet bloc parents didn't really have the broadest taste. So it was a lot of just, like, Pink Floyd and Kraftwerk, like, again and again and again. That was my first memories being like, you know, I really like this. Like, listening to this is fun. And then I had an older cousin that's like maybe 12 years older than me who was very like grunge chick in the 90s and kind of like groomed me or you know manicured me was like she'd like take me to Newbury Comics and be like I'm gonna buy you a CD pick something out I remember I picked out Hello Nasty and she was like 
fine, but I'm also going to buy you the Vaselines and the meat puppets. And I was in like fifth grade. So she'd like go out of her way to expose me to shit. Like buy me our band could be your life and that. And I think that she actually had a very large impact about being like, go play rock and roll. And then my uncle bought me Nevermind. And that was kind of like it. And I was like, I want to play guitar. Um, My parents used to make my sister take violin. And she was like a nightmare about it. Like constant screaming. Like, I don't want to practice. Like, fuck this. I hate this. Like crying all the time. So they didn't try with me. And then when I showed interest in being like, I want to learn music. They were just like, yep. Like, okay. So I started playing guitar and then, you know, not that dissimilar to Josh or like any other teenager in the vague Northeast. Fucked around with some kids, had like punk bands here and there. And then in high school started this band. I remember the, uh, okay, I'm going to doing this in the wrong order. So I got into playing guitar. Um, I had a grandfather who he was doing some sort of speech therapy thing in this really like mad scientist, small apartment kind of way. But he was doing some thing where he would record people with accents speaking and play the recordings back to them to help people get rid of their accents. And I think that he would go to Radio Shack and be like, what do I need to do this? And they would upsell him on all this shit that he didn't need. So he died and then these like boxes and boxes of recording equipment just like showed up at my house. And it was like uh, all these handheld tape players, all these cassette tapes of these weird like speech therapy sessions and this Tascam Porta studio. And so I got it and I just started fucking around with this stuff. You just got like the lo-fi home recording like starter kit. Yeah, I think I was like 11 or 12 and it just like went through these boxes and like my dad had a new house and kind of put all these boxes in some room was like, I don't want to like deal with the trauma of like my father's death. And I'd be like, well, can I deal with it? And I would just like go through these boxes and all of a sudden had this like weird little studio at home. And then I had this friend that lived down the street. We were kind of learning how to play guitar together. And then he wanted to record a Coldplay cover. So we did. (laughs) And that was like the first recording we ever made. But we spent, like, one weekend, like, just, like, being, like, sweaty little B.O. 12-year-olds making this Coldplay song. And afterwards, we were like, oh, fuck, like, let's start a band. And we kind of just, like, did that for a while. And then the band turned into this, into this thing called the Wednesday Nights. We were going to Newton South High School and playing, like, our first show was the WBCN Battle of the Bands at Harper's Ferry, where, what's the band that Adam Levine is from? Maroon 5, Maroon 5, Maroon 5 came up through this thing, but, uh, oh, wow. We, wow. So it's, I don't this know if is they like were in the battle of the high, to like, they used to play Harper's Ferry, this right, place right, on like right. Palm Ave or something in Boston. Um, but it was our first show and we won that round and we like advanced to the next round. Nice. And we were kind of like, oh, like people kind of like this. We like wore suits and stuff. So everyone was like, you guys sound like Interpol. Like we did it. That was my next question. How much <laughs> did you sound like Interpol? Yeah. I mean, like there was like some riffing, but yeah. But yeah, we did that. And like, so we were just this indie band in Boston. And then sometime later in high school, I was working my like first well, no, it wasn't my first shitty job. It was like one of my first shitty jobs. Yeah. Because we're at this place called the Pita Pit. And this guy named Greg that I ended up knowing much later, he was really upset 
because his friends were all going to see Black Dice and he had to work and it was like his first day. And I was like, what's Black Dice? <laughs> your and j- your then, Joker like, moment. Everything changed. And through the singer of my band and through this moment, you know, I met Gobby, who's, you know, for the listeners, like a esteemed prolific producer that I've worked alongside for a very long time and um, met a lot of people that, you know, we all still hang out with today, but we were all kids then. And I remember someone played me Broken Ear record and it was just like everything changed. I stopped hanging out with everyone I know. I like bought a 404 and like only hung out with people that were like into black dice. Um, (laughs) We were just like smoking so much pot and we had this like weird noise studio in my mom's basement. We started what turned into this band called Truman Peyote. We started the band for a couple, we played for like, I don't know, eight months or so. And then everyone went off to college. So it turned into this thing where like the band existed, but there was like three sometimes four different people that would go play as the band. So there was- Yeah, ton- the franchise. Yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> you know, you're kind of getting whoever. You don't know who it's going to be. But so they're playing tons of shows. And there's a thing that took me many years to kind of unpack. We were like, wanted to press buttons. You know, we were super into just like buttons and wires. And that was also like the time. So we assumed that like Acceptor and Black Dice and Animal Collective and all the bands that we were idolizing, that none of them ever like, practiced so we were just this like <laughs> weird shitty like stoned electronic like jam improv. band we were a jam yeah. band yeah yeah um, <laughs> and you know we had our little like a uh, palette of moves or whatever but we were pretty loose and all over um i had dropped out of school because we had a bit of buzz and i was like fuck you everyone i'm gonna be a rocker and then i was like this sucks yeah so i was in college i dropped out <laughs> to do this for a year And we were just like, so, you know, we're like still stoned in the back of some van. And I was like, this ain't it. Um, So I went back to school in Toronto where me and Josh met, but I was still contributing to this band, even though I I wasn't really digging what they were doing and I was moving in a different direction. And at the same time, I was making music on my own as Easy Boy. So I was living in Toronto, but I was still vaguely connected to this like bloggy indie world. So I got booked to play South by Southwest and CMJ. I hitched a ride from with real estate from Toronto to Chicago. And then I met the Truman Peyote guys there and we drove down to Austin. And this guy that I had never met before was in the band now. And he was in a trailer and he was driving. And then I realized he was high on acid. And I'm just like in this RV and I'm like, what am I doing? And at the time, I'd been back in Toronto for a couple months. And so we're in South by Southwest. I'm, like, confused. I'm in torn in all these different directions. I knew that Josh's band, Little Girls, was there. Okay, wait. Hold on one second. Did we not meet at CMJ first? Oh, no, no. We did do CMJ first. It was CMJ's. Because I remember we, we met in New York. Weirdly okay, enough. so I might have gotten the order of events mixed up. But we were doing the indie circuit together. We were both at CMJ and I saw Josh and his band at like the artist lounge and everyone's getting haircuts and shit. And I, I talked to his bandmates and Josh wouldn't say a word to me because he was like fucking cool guy. He cool guyed me. And, <laughs> and wait, hold on. Okay, so then then three days later, we're all in Austin for South by Southwest. I knew that they were opening for Andrew WK at this weird bar. And this other guy, Elliot, who I kind of knew, he was playing in Josh's band. He was walking down the street, like, he was wasted. 
And he was buying cow. He was wearing cowboy boots that he bought there. He like, didn't have socks because his feet stunk on tour or something. So he was like limping, covered in blisters. And he ran into us. We kind of looked at him, and he like fell on me and Caleb, the guy I was playing with. He was like, "Just say you're the band. Just say you're the band." And he snuck us into Josh's show, and we saw them play. And then we watched Andrew WK, which was sick. Then a week later, we were at this bar called Ronnie's that everyone used to hang out at, and that was when me and Josh actually had our first conversation. Josh was like, yeah, I think I like saw you in New York. And I like, think I like saw you in Texas. Dude, that's I was not like, shut true. the fuck up, bro. That's not true. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nice try. We chatted. Well, I remember specifically, we chatted at either South or Southwest. Maybe it wasn't New York, but we chatted at one of these places outside of Toronto. And I remember like, we were like talking and I was like, I remember saying it to you because I'm not an asshole. I was like, we should hang out back in the city, the place that we live in. And you were like, yeah, man, cool, cool, cool. And like, you know, I didn't call you or anything, but like we just ran into each other like, you know, a couple weeks later at Ronnie's. And then we just started like talking and hanging out and like laughing. And then we just been friends ever since. Yeah. And then, yeah, we became friends for a couple months before that. uh, I was living in Toronto. People thought I was Josh. Yeah, this was a whole thing. Wait, but so you guys, it's not like you guys were just like... We didn't know each other yet. People thought I was him. And I I had just moved there. So maybe I was like the new guy or whatever. Like, I was at some house party that he was playing and someone like interviewed me thinking I was him. (laughs) That's cool. And I just like rolled with it. I, Um, to this day, would love to find that interview. Because what did you say? I remember they asked, they were like, what are your influences? And I was like, Limp Bizkit. (laughs) <laughs> let's go yeah. which is like not that far off from the truth i mean i know yeah, everyone loves limp biscuit so he's downplaying the whole like he's like yeah i was asked to go play new york but in toronto it was like uh you know he's on the cover of their local rag now magazine eating a bowl <laughs> of like unwound cassette tape with chopsticks <laughs> Josh was like all over the place. He was like little downtown city success story. She's being very coy. Well, even even when I brought it back to that like psychedelic horseshit real estate show, like I'm pretty sure I was headlining that. (laughs) But like, but like within that world, within that world, though, it was like you know still super niche shit. But no, because at at that time I had gotten like a lot of like crazy success, and like again going back to the blog thing, it happened so quickly. Like it happened so quickly, and it fell apart even faster but like for like one year it was like you know i was in like you know the fader and the guardian and the cover of these magazines and all these newspapers and like went on tour and like had like you know a career and like you know licensed songs to crazy commercials and played all these festivals and things so it was like it was definitely a thing i knew who he was (laughs) (laughs) but the funny thing the funny thing though about that era though is the fact that like you know eric had curly hair and yes. we don't like look alike. We don't look like we don't not look. You know what I mean? Like it's not like an insane thing, especially back then. Like if you did, sure. if you just saw a press photo, and again, keep in mind, my press photos at the time were very like mysterious ish, right? Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like just my face. Yeah, yeah was, I never thought about that part. Right. So it was so kind it was of a, a, a miss. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wasn't For like sure. I was hiding my face, but it wasn't just like you know a, a straight up photo of myself. So like it it kind of, I got paid once. Someone thought it was him. They handed me a wad of cash. You're like, I love this guy, Josh. This is, <laughs> keep it, keep it going. But you're, root, you're like, I'm your biggest fan, man. Like, keep going. Like, you're, you're he's like, you're rooting for your success. The fucked up thing about that story, though, is the fact that like, <laughs> you guys almost took the money. 
No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't say I was a hired gun in a band. Yes. They hired, they gave me a wad of cash. So I walked up to the guy like whose band it was that I didn't really want to play in. I was like, they just paid me, but he had already gotten paid and it was just like written all over his face, like what happened. And he was like, just keep it, just keep it. And I was like, no, I'm not keeping it. <laughs> We met each other, and then it ended up that we lived right down the street from one another. So we were yeah, just like running like into each other. Era. What what uh, area of Queen uh, Street? Oh yeah, and yeah. Queen everyone West. that was like a dipshit that didn't have a job would go get coffee at this cafe at like one or two p.m. when we woke up, <laughs> and we would stay there until five. <laughs> yeah, smoke a bunch of cigs, go buy beer. Um, I don't know. We started hanging. There was definitely this like weird moment in toronto where there was kind of a scene around this thing where it was like if much in a, our band could be your life sort of way this was around the time where people realized they could just start having their own parties at like little bars and you know download virtual dj and this was at the point where someone djing is like you know they're playing like bizarre love triangle by new order you know <laughs> dance music wasn't really like quite a thing for sure this is a. Uh... We're, we're, we're coming to a, a wonderful, fruitful era. Uh, we, we like to call it Bloghouse. Uh, <laughs> it was Bloghouse era. This is peak or pr- proto into peak Bloghouse era. Yeah, we, because we, I had a party. So again, going back to this, sorry, here's a little funny side note that kind of connects this. But around this time, you know, I meet Eric in the States. We come back to Canada. We meet again. We now know each other, but we, we're not necessarily friends. We don't, like, hang out, per se. And I had a party at this bar called The Beaver, which is on Queen Street. Again, like, we all lived in this, like, this one street. I later found out that Eric lived, like, like he was saying, like, just down the street from me. And, like, a little bit further was this bar we used to all go to called The Beaver. And I used to have a party there with Elliot, who played guitar in my band. It was called uh, Pretty Pretty. And... We would just, like, again, it wasn't, like, no one was trying to be, like, a DJ. No one was trying to, like, really, like, you know, get the day. It was just, like, we were just playing whatever the fuck we wanted. And this was kind of in the era, too, with, like, Facebook events where you'd, like, we would, like, put the names of, like, all the bands we liked and things we liked at the bottom of the uh, event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> To, like, be, like, this is what you're going to, like, this is the kind of weird shit you're going to so, like, French New Wave, minimal, cold. For sure. And I was always like, fuck this music. Yes. It, oh, wasn't, yes. it wasn't just that, but it was a lot. It, it later turned into it just It was very that, dark. Is, the aesthetic was yeah. very dark. Right. Yeah, but it was also fun. But, I, but so the funny thing about this, though, is I would met Eric. I knew who he was. And... We're like, I'm like, de- quote unquote, DJing again, just on my laptop, virtual DJ, crappy MP3s. It didn't really matter. Cheap beer, just packed little art school nonsense. And Eric and his friends would show up, and like, everyone was kind of like, not being too cool, but everyone kind of had this like air of like, you know, like, like I'm like a mysterious person or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then Eric and his friends roll up, and they just like don't 
give a fuck. And at first I was like, you know, cause I was a pretty respectable, like nice person. I'm like, don't like, you know, don't tag the bar. Don't like smash glasses. Don't whatever. Just to paint the picture. Like let's just pretend that everyone is for the most part wearing like all black. These guys would come in with like tie dye shirts and like they would come in and like, we all we were all, you know, sort of friends, but like they would come in and just like cause shit. And I would, I remember like, I'd be playing, I'd be DJing and Eric would like, or somebody else would, you know, pick him up and just, you know, throw him into one of the tables with all these pint glasses. <laughs> and everything's broken and that people are cut. And like... <laughs> this is my business partner we're talking about right now. Yeah, we're, but we're fun. Me and Elliot being like, being like, man, like, why did we befriend these guys? Like, they're just causing so much shit. Yes. Um, and I remember just being like, being like, guys, like you can't do that. And then, and it just, but it was like they had such a like fun energy that like you like couldn't be mad. Like, look at this guy's face. You like couldn't be mad at yes. him. You're like, he'd be like, oops. <laughs> well, there was another thing. We were like the Americans. It's like me and my like seven foot tall friend thought that we like had carte blanche to do whatever we wanted because everyone was Canadian. But you also but we weren't like entrance, violent. Like, we weren't like violent. No, 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 we were just like no, no, dancing. No, no. Very, yeah. very. And you would just like <laughs> fall into people and break things, and it just didn't matter. But, but what I, what I, the reason I brought this up is because I remember this happening, and for a second being like, "Fuck!" Like these guys that we met in like the states, like oh, they're actually kind of annoying or whatever. But then we just kept hanging out. It was one of those things where it wasn't like we were like, "Oh, fuck these guys!" Like they were fun to hang out with. And again, knowing that we were all kind of into similar shit, we lived in the same neighborhood. We were just, like, down to, like, hang. We all were, like, trying to be musicians. We were all just, like, chain-smoking and just, like, no one really had a job. Everyone was just kind of, like, bumming around. And we were all just basically on the same level, like, living the v- very similar lifestyle. So, of course, naturally, you hang out with these people all day and all night, all the time. And as Eric was saying at this coffee shop, we would just go meet there, drink coffee, chill until, like, the sun went down, go buy beer, go drink, go do something, go to bed, and then just repeat it. And we did that for, like... I don't know, a year, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. What what what, what is this? Twenty twenty three. I mean, there, yeah. it was kind of. But there was a lot of like, everyone was of this age, being like, "Is this okay?" Like, no one was like bad. It's not like anyone was like junkies or into like crime, and it was a lot of like you know pirating logic, like showing people like tips and tricks with plugins. And you know, honestly, going back to like the competitive thing that I was talking about in like. Uh, you know, my roots as a high school musician that it kind of felt that way in this little like Toronto scene for a while of like, I think part of that was due to some of the promoters kind of putting people at odds with one another. And, you know, it was being like, why won't you book me for this show? Or like, you know, people booking a huge party, keeping all the money. But there was kind of this like weird bubbling moment there of like everyone making lots of shit. Like, so Josh hasn't gotten to it yet, but him and our friend Talby, they, started a band called Prince Innocence. Me and, you know, my other dipshit friends that Josh is talking about that just, like, love bacon, made breaking beer glasses. Wow. We oh, had... That's kind of naughty, for sure. That's, we that's... had a, like, synth-punk spazzy metal band. And, like, everyone, like, uh, Contravoid, goth lord himself, he lived a block away from us. So it was kind of like... Everyone was hanging out, and every week or so would be like, you know, go to someone's house, listen to the new track that whoever made. And there was this weird thing where, like, everyone had very different angles on it. You know, like, Cam was making this, like, goth music. I had, like, I don't know, this just, like, brain damage band. 
Josh was like learning how to make like really kind of classy, refined, you know, pop music. And these were all the people hanging out. And it was a lot of like kind of arguing, but not like in an angry way, but kind of like everyone was pushing each other forward. Of like, you know, we'd hang out with Cam, the goth guy, and be like, why the fuck don't you laugh at anything? (laughs) You know, Josh would show me his tracks. and I'd be like, no way, man. Like this shit is way too commercial. This is like Zara music. And I'd show him our tracks and he'd be like, this sounds like shit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But the fun thing about that era though, is that like, What I always look back on this and like actually loved was the fact that this is going to sound super corny, but like, I don't care was that we were all just like friends because we liked each other, not because we were like trying to be in some sort of like a scene or movement where it was like, we all make the same shit. Yes. In fact, all of us made it was cool because everyone was different. different. Yeah. And, and the thing, and the thing about this sort of like, like time with all of us is the fact too, that like we didn't. It, even though we were all, aside from being friends and aside from all making different music, we had all gotten to the age where we like we were into just like weird shit for like whatever reason. So like we were like all surprisingly like very supportive. It was like and would oftentimes kind of like put together bills that you know in theory made no sense, but like we all did it because we we're just like no 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 like this this works like we're all friends and we're all like trying to play these shows like my like kind of synthy pop band believe it or not played with eric's like like thrashy like spazzy synth band and like these lineups like worked because like no one it got to the point where no one wanted to go to shows where it's like here's like four garage rock bands or here's four goth bands or here's four whatever bands like i still do not want to go to those shows i mean like yeah exactly that's the yeah for sure no i mean that's that's an that's an amazing like you know, kind of uh, synchronous or whatever. Like, you know, just Mm -hmm. the fact that, like, but everybody, just by virtue of being, like, friends, they happen to also... Because obviously you guys shared some some sort of common musical vocabulary. Maybe be it, like... Oh, 100%. DIY, underground music, whatever. But it's, like, you're at these, like, different four different poles or whatever, you know. Yeah. No, we all... The thing is, we all listen to the... That's the funniest part, is we would all, like party together and hang out together and we're all like listening to like basically the same music we were just making different music you know i I think that there was this other thing about it where like you know josh and i have made like a very small handful of tracks together most notably hot sebastian i was gonna say hot sebastian (laughs) cue hot sebastian Before we get back into the conversation, are you enjoying listening to Josh talk? Well, then you might enjoy his podcast, Cold Pod, where Josh and Austin Hutchins discuss the deep corners of pop culture, music, art, and everything in between. Most recent guests include sub-pop artist Bria and writer Sarah Haggie. With new episodes every Thursday, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Cold Pod. Check it out. All right, let's get back into it. You know, Josh and I didn't know each other for that long. So it was this kind of thing where I was like, hey, we're starting this band. We want to send this single out to people. Like, 
show me what a press release looks like. Whereas opposed to, you know, maybe friends that you've known for years, you'll be like, yeah, of course I know what a press release looks like. And because everyone was kind of playing a different angle or like the acts weren't that different, everyone could like kind of help shape each other's projects. I'd be like, no, you should do this. Cause it wasn't like, uh, whatever. It wasn't like you're the strokes and we're the hives and we're competing for like greatest rock band. It was just like, oh, you guys are doing this thing. Like do this with their video. You guys are doing like everyone actually really helped push each other forward because there was so much space between everyone's projects. The supportiveness that people take for granted, which I feel like now has turned into like social media, like take or like podcast economy, like it's no small feat, you know, to get on stage in front of people and be like, I'm going to do a thing for people to even like push each other on and be like, I'm going to compete with you. I'm going to encourage you to be better. And also we're going to like sell out like a 300 capacity room every two weeks is like very tight. So this is, this is like to get this like, in a timeline, this is like 2010, 2011. This is like 12 to 15, 12, uh, 11 to 14, maybe. Yeah, and Josh, so Josh was kind of like, he's met her friend Talvi, who he was dating. She lived in Montreal at the time. He was like going back and forth all the time, learning how to be like a synth pop producer. I was living with my friend Mike. We were playing this band that was not yet called Cell Phone. And I taught him how to play bass. And I had this TR-707 drum machine that we would all practice to. And we'd play at 220, because that's the fastest that it goes. And this was like, that was the vibe for a while. Just like Josh is either in Montreal or not in Montreal. I'm like practicing. This was really like, uh, we were like the Gestapo of practice. We were like, everyone has to have insane chops to play in this band. Like, But this era was interesting too, because I, I like you were saying, was kind of at this point... Towards the end of this or the middle of this, I was like half in Montreal and half in Toronto. But this is like this is like the sort of like Grimes era. This is when like Grimes was like just about to like pop. So know? I I wanted to I wanted to make sure not to gloss over this you started this project with your girlfriend at the time. Girlfriend at the time, not current girlfriend. Um no. Prince Innocence, which, you know, that's I you guys put out a couple records and like you know, did a bunch of stuff Chipotle like playlists. Yeah, I I wanted to make sure not to gloss over <laughs> oh, yeah. this thing, which is you know that's this is I'm I'm aware uh, I'm aware yeah, of yeah, this yeah. you know project. So like, uh, Are, like Prince Innocence was kind of big for a minute. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, so I mean, yeah, I would love to. Could do you want to just talk about that, mm-hmm. like the genesis and kind of what how it progressed and? Yeah, so that project kind of came about, I guess, right when. So basically, as soon as Little Girls never really ended, it kind of, it never really like officially like like stopped the band. We just kind of stopped doing it. And around this time, I was dating Talvi, and she was in Montreal. So I would go there and just like bring my laptop and like hang out. And started at this point too. I was I, I didn't want to be a frontman anymore. I didn't want to be like the singer of this band and like jumping around and whatever. I was like, I want to just like make music and like let someone else be the face of it. And so I started like toying around with these like kind of like synthy instrumentals and was like, Oh, Tommy, like, do you want to like sing on these? And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. So she started singing and then we sort of made this band and then started playing in both Toronto and Montreal. Um, and then it weirdly just like got like a lot of press, like really fast. 
like all the time. Like this is, I guess, kind of like post blog era, but this is more like music publications era of just like, you know, it'd be like the fader and noisy and what else was around pitchfork and all that stuff. We'd just be like, Oh, here's this new track and da da da. And you're, you're downplaying being good at this. You're like, yeah, everything I put out weirdly gets a lot of press. No, well, this goes, this goes back to one of two things. Like obviously I was making in this case, even more accessible music than I was before, but people, I feel like we're always afraid to just like reach out and ask for things. And I feel like I was always just the person that would be like, I'm just going to go figure out who's writing these damn articles and I'm going to send them the song and I'm going to send it to every writer that I can see online. And I did it all the time. I would just send my music, you know, and you know, it would get either rejected or just no response all the time, but I would send it everything we made. I'd be like, here's a new single. Here's the artwork. Here's a little video we shot, whatever. And I just send it all out. And we ended up just kind of getting into this press cycle and we just became a band that people knew outside of Toronto and Montreal, like pretty quickly, but we never actually put out like albums. So like, we were just like putting out a lot of music, putting out EPs, putting out singles and kind of just doing it like at our own pace and ended up just like kind of like eventually it kind of moved past this kind of like synth pop thing into kind of a more like, like at this point I was getting into like, you know, the <laughs> sort of experimental kind of club music kind of shit. Like, cause it, cause I was also becoming a DJ at this point. Like I was becoming like a, like a real DJ at this point. Well, so then, okay, so then, yeah, to 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 keep it cranking um, along, I'm, so then I, I guess pop back over to you. So now we're almost kind of like breaking it up now, but like at this point, you know, so this era of you, of Josh, you going back and forth, Montreal, Toronto, doing the Prince Innocence, et cetera, like what, you went back to the States. Okay, so I was... As we mentioned before, I had this band going called Cell Phone. Oh yeah, actually, you know what? Let's. I, I want to talk about cell. cell let's talk about Cell Phone. I forgot we didn't actually really so, talk about it. Cell Phone, as I mentioned earlier, we like me and my friend Mike. We were living together in an apartment that me and my friend Jay lived at previously. Jay moved out. He still had keys, so it turned into one of those houses where I just like never had a moment alone. We started this band, practiced all, all the time. We played a, a lot. There's like a couple of iterations of the band, but there was, you know, these three core members, me, Mike, and Jay. I was living in Canada as an illegal alien because I fucked up my papers. Someone put out a record for us, Telephone Explosion, I think. This record label put out the first cell phone record. And then I had to like bite the bullet and leave Canada. And I remember like I left and then two weeks later was like the record release show. We like we took this band very seriously. We all worked at a pizza place together. We all lived together. It's just like we like lived and breathed this thing. The album was coming out. We were playing all the time, and we started getting offers for gigs in New York. 
but we kept saying no because I couldn't cross the border. And come back in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 So it kind of turned into this thing where I was like, I'm fucking up these. We started getting into the grant system and stuff, um, but they'd have to like leave my name off the paperwork. And honestly, like that band starting to gain momentum was the thing that made it very clear to me where I was like, I'm illegally living in a country like... I can't even put my like dipshit rock and roll band down on paper or like I can't be part of it on paper. So I bit the bullet. I left. Record came out. I was so sad about it. I remember a couple weeks after that or no, not a couple weeks, just a few months. I moved to New York and they came to play New York dates. When I was leaving the band, Mike, like I started on guitar, ended up on keys. It's fine. He was like, we'll never have another keyboard player again. They came to New York. There was like a keyboard player that was like playing my parts wrong. And these people were like my best friends in the world. They're playing a show at Union Pool or something. And I watched like three of their songs and I just like left. I was like, I can't handle this. I remember hearing about this. I remember you, you texted me. so sad. Do you remember you were texting me being like, I can't, I had to leave. I couldn't be there. Yeah. That's, that's brutal, man. It was a low point. I mean, it's like, brutal. I worked on this band for like five years or something. And then whatever, I got over it. I left and visited Toronto. A while later and then mike who was in the band we were at like some dinner party cell phone was playing and like in toronto there's like so many shows that it's like yeah you know you're late to the show say any city he was like if you miss our set i'll never talk to you again and i was like we need to get in a cab right now um and i went there they're playing at like the bovine sex club and we got there and he was like this is for like founding member eric farber and i watched them play once and, like they turned into this killer thrash three-piece and like I never like smiled bigger in my whole life. I was like, those are my fucking boys. So it ended up being like a kind of amicable in the end once the scars were healed or once the. No, totally. I wasn't hurt about it all. And I actually had. um, Okay, so if we're focusing on my like musical narrative, I moved back to New York. My friend Gabriel Chagru, aka Gabi, who we watched perform yesterday, him and I met like, you know, the thing I was talking about earlier when we like found Black Dice, me and him met and like. We'd go to his house and we'd just like make beats. And this was a friend of mine that I like, one of the good things about moving back to America, I was like, I'll get to see Gabi again. And then I was in Boston for a sec. He was in Boston for a sec. And then he moved to New York and just like kind of moved into my apartment. Me and him started working together and we started this band called Mutt. And for a while we were working in this way where like, I think I had my first coding job or something. Like I would go to work Gobby would wake up and he would work on a track for like five or six hours. I would come home from work and then he would go to sleep like in my bed and I would work on the track until it was time for me to go to bed. And then I'd be like, Gobby, get the fuck out of my bed. Like go sleep on the aero bed. And we were, we were doing this thing for Esther and Jenny. We had like a deadline for like this gauntlet chain thing. And we made this, the two of us together made this like 30 minute like orchestral classical music piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. But I, we were I, working I on it in this like super intense way where it was like touching the same files all the time. Like I wasn't like, Gabi, come sleep in my bed. It's like after a few days, I was like, oh, when I go to work, he sleeps in my bed. <laughs> 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 That's been my like big collaborator here over the last couple of years. The, the other day I opened up an old computer and I saw that me and him have so much... So we put out Mutt 1, we did yeah. Mutt 2, which actually, in the font, in the, the, yeah. what do I call it? The amazing hit single for Mutt, Everything is Cool, is the intro song, song. of Josh's podcast. Everything is cool, 
Everything is fine What's left is right Yours is mine Everything is cool Everything is fine What's left is right Yours is mine Okay, so we're at like Josh, twenty sixteen. Yeah, you were saying you were that we skipped ahead a bit with the thermal stuff. So like, I would love to like fill in. Well, so jo- yeah, Josh has many years that I wasn't around for. Yeah, totally. So I'm curious right. of yeah, like, I guess you weren't. You would visit though. So basically, after Eric left, around this time was when I like really started like taking my DJ career seriously. Um, and like, this is like kind of like. Well, because I, I will also say that, like, a lot of the shit that I played, I actually, like, a lot of it kind of came, not a lot of it, but a chunk of it came from Eric. Like, you're the one that showed me, like, DJ Rashad. And, yeah. Like, this, okay, so this is the thing with stuff. When me and Josh used to, me and Josh used to DJ together a lot. And I, well, I was kind of joking earlier, being, like, everyone's playing, like, New Order and, like, Minimal Wave and shit. This, like, back in, like, 2010, I, like, got hooked on footwork and juke. And I would play it out in Toronto, and it was like, I would either, like, absolutely crush it or usually just clear the rope. I mean, that was and the craziest jo- And Josh and a couple other people were like, what the fuck is this guy playing? Like, what is this music? That's a liar. You cleared the room every time. <laughs> there was, like, one time that I crossed it. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, no one, we weren't, no one knew what that music was. And, like, oftentimes people talk about, like, timing and stuff like that. But that was just way, you were way too ahead. To be even trying to play that shit. But but yeah, so like like in this in this sort of era of like 2016, 2017 is when I was like we were still doing Prince Innocence and we were like touring a bit. Uh but I was kind of way more into like DJing. Like I was really into like DJing at this point. And I had a party called Baby Blue at the Beaver. And honestly, at the same place that these parties we talked about back in the day that Eric used to like get thrown into the tables and stuff. Like I then had a I new party called myself. Baby Blue. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's Mike cool. was throwing me. <laughs> so it was violent, <laughs> but it was violence directed at it yourself. It wasn't violent. It was just like disruptive. <laughs> it was just controlled chaos. Yeah, yeah. But I ended up doing a new party there, which is again when I got into more of like I don't know, when I when I found this sort of like scene and sound of like well not scene because it didn't exist in Toronto, but I found this like sort of niche music that was like, you know, fade to mind and like night slugs and all that stuff. It was like, you know, experimental, noisy, crazy shit mixed with like club music. And like, so basically one of the labels that had put out the last uh, little girls record in 2012 had basically been hitting me up for like years being like, what are you doing next? Like Prince Innocence was kind of like weirdly off limits. Cause we kind of just did our own thing. And we're offered many a record deal and turn them all down. We're just like, no, we're just going to like do it ourselves and like own our masters and make our own money. And to this day, I still like make like money from that project. Wow. Um, Amazing. From sync deals or something like that. Sync deals. And just like, yeah. from Chipotle. Stuff, from, I mean, uh, honestly, Chipotle, goaded. We, we hear it all the time down the, down the block on Broadway. You know, <laughs> I'm not making that up. Right. You guys, you guys were at, on the Chipotle playlist, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're oh, like, yeah. still am. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. No, but, um, so basically he just kept being like, what are you doing next? What are you doing next? And I was like, Princess is off limits. I'm not making solo music. Like I'm not trying to do this. 
And then around 2018, I would say, was when, again, as I was saying, I'm DJing a lot, and I started, like, making, like, obviously I was making, like, all these edits. I was making all these things just for SoundCloud. I had, like, all this shit I was just, like, throwing up and whatnot. And then I started making, like, my own, like, productions and stuff. And then finally was, like, okay, to this label, Hands on Dracula, I was, like, here's, like, a record I'm, like, working on that's, like, dance music, I guess. And this is a label that does not, has never put out dance music before. It was very much like indie rock. And they're like, we'll gladly put this out. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, let's just do it. Um, so that's kind of how Prince Josh like started. And then I have like another record coming out this year, actually, which is like my second one. But Josh, Josh is also glossing over that. Like, okay, so Hand on Dracula is like, yeah, we'll put out your record. He's putting out the first single. And like, again, every single piece of CanCon falls into place. And like for his first single, The Joy, instead of it being like a song with a music video, it's like 10 people decide to produce a short film for him. <laughs> <laughs> and like the song is just playing in the background of like interviews of eight people being like, here's the most important moment of my life with like expensive cinematography. Jock Green is in it for some reason. Josh just like walks backwards into like success all the time because he's really kind and straightforward. <laughs> and he 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 plays dub. Wow. Okay. This is the uh, this is definitely going in the edited episode. You truly unpacked it, bro. I've known you for a long. I've known you for a long <laughs> no, because, time. because I do play dumb. I do play dumb. Like that's like my thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah. They're they're like they're like. What if there's an intro for it? You're like, well, I don't know. What if it's a short film? And they're like, whoa, well, yeah, cool. And you're and you're like, what if it's like feature length? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's gonna cost an extra like ten thousand dollars. I'm like, well, what if you just like ask someone so for you the money? You ha you have like this like um you know when people I'm not a big gamer, but like when the Pokemon are like charged up or whatever, and they like do their big move, you have like a really incredible way of going. Eh. That, that makes, like, every ask sound totally fine. You know, someone can be like, well, that's going to cost $40,000. And you'll be like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> if only you knew what I was working on right now, you'd, you'd laugh. Because <laughs> there's, ex there's some expensive things happening right now. Really? What do you do on it? I mean. Yeah, I have, I, have, I have a big music video coming out for my solo record. Uh, it hasn't been shot yet, but it's uh, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Josh will, I'll be like visiting Toronto or like Josh will be here and he'll be like hold on I'm gonna go work the room and then he'll like come back in 15 minutes and be like I'm scoring a movie do you know anything about like time codes <laughs> okay this is this is getting Josh is a powerful man. I did score a movie recently <laughs> but I'm not I'm not shaming it I'm saying that like you you literally have a uh, really wonderful business sense where you make people, you like congeal projects and you kind of make shit happen in a way where at the end of it, everyone thinks that something good happened and you were in the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I literally shot a music video, what, three days ago? No, you, I mean, you guys, so Josh and Lauren have started this band recently where they're working at this tempo where it's like, we send each other like half finished shit a lot. Josh, like go to the studio, send me a demo. Song's not done. Video, like a video for a different track came out the week before and he'll be like, we're shooting the video for this one tomorrow. You know, they're, they're going like little peep mode of just being like, just keep going. Well, keep the thing going. is, I've always found that it's, it's, you know, you always have to stay 10 steps ahead. Like, and why not? Because as soon, if you, if you set yourself up to create and make things, I'm not saying create and make things, but if you set yourself up to put things out, if you just like plan, it's not that crazy. Like, like when I, when I'm when I'm telling you that like we're, 
you know, shooting a video for a thermal track. We shot one a couple or two days ago for a track that's not finished yet. The track is finished. We recorded it uh, a month and a half ago. It's being mixed right now. By the time the video is finished, the master will be done. Totally. I feel like we are getting to the point where we could just say, hey, it's been great, you know, uh, having you guys on. But but uh, I, I want to uh, have a space to... Is there something that you want to, like, Oh, oh actually, actually, uh, damn. So this is, like, a... Earlier, I was like, all right, me and Josh are going to do the podcast with Jack. Like, what, do we, what notes do we want to make sure that we hit? And I was like, Josh is... Uh, I was like, Jack is going to ask us about what our collaborations are like. I'm going to be like, me and Josh never really made that much music together. However, we have had some very successful collaborations. And I was like, you got to tell the story. The best thing that me and Josh ever did, other than having a beautiful friendship over many years, is that we devised this system that we just like would fall into like clockwork where when we were going out in Toronto or (laughs) wherever we were, when we had the info, if we were going to any like club or any party, Josh would change my name in the contacts of his phone to the person that owned the club. And then I would send him a bunch of text messages being like, do not make them wait. They are VIP. Let them in right now. And we would just walk up to the front of the line and show it to the bouncer. (laughs) (laughs) I was was like, this is me and Josh's greatest collaboration. We did it all the time. And it killed. It just killed. We'd be like, they're VIP. Like. Like, get them in no, now. Like, Do it, not make us. them wait. And it would be me texting him. <laughs> it would be us standing at, like, in front of a bouncer. And I'd be like, I'm going to, I'd be like, look at my phone. I'd be like, this is, this is the contact of the, the name, let's just say it, Mikey Apples. I'd be like, I'm texting Mikey Apples right now. And I'd say, hey, we're outside. The bouncer won't let us in. Eric is right behind me. I changed his contact to Mikey Apples. Eric goes, let them in. Let them in. Like they're, they, they need to come in right now. Like they, they blah, blah, blah. And, and I show you, again. Like, you, you would be, Eric would be live texting directly behind, behind you. Behind oh me. my God. We have to do that. Like at nowadays. We're too old to do that. No, 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 no. We are not too old to do that. That was the best thing me and Josh ever Holy cooked together. Shit. <laughs> It actually was. It was actually like we'd like show up something, we'd see a line, we'd like look at each other and like Josh does this thing where sometimes he pretends to get really serious and he'd be like, you know, he'll be like point this one and be like To the dude, to, oh my god. I mean that's I don't know why everyone doesn't do this. Brilliant. I know, I know. Just gonna go ahead and say that is one of the top candidates for the intro to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. That it's good. is incredible. I think that's also a good note. I think that's a good uh, a good note to end on. I think that's. I like, think so. Uh, all right. I guess this is it. All right. I love yeah, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Love Enjoy you, your night. Yes. Bye. We'll talk Peace. soon. Bye. Peace. Later. See ya. Thanks to Eric and Josh for joining me to speak about their lives in music and beyond. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to Four Hundred Floor wherever you get your podcasts. To hear the raw and uncut version of this episode, plus much more bonus material, you can purchase it at 400floor.com. That's the number 400 and the word floor.com. 400 Floor is a podcast produced by Nina Protocol, where two musicians pair up to talk about their roots individually and together and reflect on the communities that shaped them. We'll be back in a few weeks with another deep dive. Thanks for listening. 